Welcome back. It is Bob. What day is it? Tuesday? It's Tuesday. Tuesday. It, feels, it smells like a Tuesday. I'm Dan Blewett. <laughs> Thanks for being here on the morning brushback. Uh, here with my co-host, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, hello. Good morning. Good morning. And Bob, we've got a great guest today. Who is our guest? We have the uh, quote-unquote forever voice of the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Adam Pohl. Adam, what's up? Bobby and Dan, this is great. I'm so excited. I feel like the shoe's on the other foot. You know, Bobby was with me for four years, I think, in Frederick. God knows how many times I interviewed him. So uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad all, to be on the other end of it. <laughs> all fantastic the forever voice. The forever voice. And so you were with, uh, what affiliate are you primarily with? I'm with AA Bowie. But, um, you know, it's been pretty cool for me. I mean, I was a music major in, in college. And uh, this is what I always wanted to do. But I mean, how do you do it? You know, and I ended up through internships working my way into the lowest level of minor league baseball or professional baseball. So I was in the uh, Appalachian League for a few years. And then I went to high A Salem for two years. And and for me, going to Frederick was kind of coming home. I'm from right near D.C. And I grew up a big Oriole fan because I'm of the age where there was no nationals when I was growing up. So I probably would have un. Definitely been a Nats fan it, or a Washington Senators fan, I guess, if I was a little bit older. But I'm, I'm of that age of the D.C. kids that, that are big Oriole fans. It's still, they still exist up here and, uh, you know, in the DMV. And now that I've had a career seven years in Frederick, this would have been my seventh year in A Bowie. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's just unbelievable where if you would have told me when I started this that I'd be one of the longest – uh, tenured Orioles minor league broadcasters ever. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have been really believed it. So it's been, it's been quite a journey. So where are you from in DC? I actually live in, in DC. I live in Shaw. Oh, okay, great. I, I'm uh, well right now live uh, between Bowie and Baltimore and Odinson, Maryland, right near Fort Meade, but I'm from Arlington, Virginia. Okay. Uh, my That's dad, awesome. you know, was in the U S army band. So he, he was stationed right there. And, um, He's actually buried there at that Arlington Cemetery now. So, oh, wow. so we, we have a major, major ties to D.C. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting area today. for sure. Yeah, you're outnumbered, Bob. You're outnumbered. <laughs> well, it's funny, like Bowie and, I mean, Southern Maryland in general is not that far, but it's, it's, it's difficult <laughs> to make it over there, to oh, say the it least. Is. It's it is very difficult. Because, uh, you know, Bowie primarily draws from um, – Prince George's County and Anne Arundel counties in Maryland. But if there's no traffic on a day, I mean, driving from my household home in Arlington to Prince George's Stadium in Bowie, I mean, it's like a 35-minute drive, but you would think that it's across the world. Yeah. My sister lives in in Gainesville, Virginia. Whatever. Which is down down 66. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's 30 – it's like 35-ish minutes – to like the center of dc on like a clear day where there's no traffic and it's an hour to the just to get 20 minutes down the road on a normal work day it's it's (laughs) it's just it's just silly how crazy dc is and how much you really have to plan your life i went to a uh a southern maryland blue crabs game last Mm -hmm. fall to get some footage that i use on like my youtube channel stuff like that i had to plan really really hard to not get stuck in just two hours of traffic like you you absolutely, there's just so many, 
have like these little windows that you just have to be in those windows to have any have chance to. of getting anywhere. It's, it's And it's weird because I, I broadcast Mount St. Mary's University basketball, and that's north of Frederick. I mean, it's almost on the Pennsylvania line. And from where I live, it's an, uh, about an hour, 10-minute drive. But from work, it's an hour and a half. But if I got caught one day, I mean, I, I have to leave for a 7 o'clock clock game by like three or three fifteen at latest and one day at work you know how it is and we get on a long phone call and get off and i'm like oh my god it's 3 40 well it should be an hour and a half drive and i need to be there by six at latest i mean you really need to be there by 5 30 and i left at 3 40 and of course i got there at like six you know it took me almost three hours to get there because Yikes. you just can't leave that late you know so it's one of those things where where like sometimes in DC you can't get somewhere on time because if I leave to go to the mat at two thirty, I get there, you know, around four, but I leave at three thirty, I'll get there around six. <laughs> <laughs> Exponential time time jumps is just it's it's terrifying. So Bob Talk to me. What's what's new in Chicago this week? You're a little insulated. We're gonna come back, we're gonna talk about the Orioles a ton today and about major league baseball, but is there any Chicago news? There's nothing. Uh, she's the You're mayor. You're mayor. I know. I knew that too. Oh, she God. was. She's brutal. She's opening the lakefront now, like June 22nd, so we can finally go by the lake. And it's a whole Adam. It's a it's an absolute shit storm in Chicago. I mean, you talk <laughs> about like the, whatever yeah. whatever you think could be wrong socially and politically is going wrong. I mean, there's aside from World War Three starting here, it's pretty it's pretty brutal. Well, if you people don't get your lake time in Chicago, it's like why did why did why you stick it here? out the why whole year? Here? The whole like literally the whole year <laughs> comes down to getting your one month of warm time. It's like that, it's like beach. that it's like that Seinfeld where you wait all year for the two weeks of Pete Mackinac peaches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get two weeks of good peaches, and then they, then uh, then Kramer loses his taste. That's what Chicago is. You wait all year for like that July first to July fifteenth window to go to the beach. And the beach is whatever. It's Lake Michigan. It's not really, it's not the white sand beach. It's just water and sand. But you live here purely for that. And it's just shut down and nobody can go. So it's kind you know, of a, it's brutal. In, Adam, in have you baseball, spent much time in Chicago? You know, I've, I've only been there once. It was in, uh, but it was a long time ago, like 15 years ago. But my wife's from Minneapolis or Minnesota area. She's from outside St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And oh, in, in this in this same world, it's like there was a big talk when the Twins built their new stadium, and people in Minnesota were just desperate for it to be an outdoor stadium. But people that live like here in the DC area, like you know, that's crazy. Like, what's it going to be like in April, or if the Twins are ever in the World Series, it could be snowing. <laughs> but for them, they're saying, "Look, we get three or four months a year to be outside, and we're going to be outside." Like, I don't want to go to a baseball game you know, in the Metrodome when it's 80 degrees outside in July. Like, you know, it's a miserable experience. So they love and, – and I see it now in, when Bobby and I were together in the Carolina League, almost all our travels took us south. Frederick was one of the furthest northern teams in that league. But in double A, it's the exact opposite. Bowie is the second furthest team to the south. So when you start going up to New Hampshire and Portland, Maine, um, it's unbelievable because once they hit the month of June, I mean, they just pack that ballpark. People want to be outside yeah. uh, in those few months. So it's, 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 it's a different lifestyle. 
I remember yeah. that Minnesota, when they built that same in Minnesota because that was in Chicago. We're like, what are you doing? You have no business <laughs> having an outdoor stadium. But even just do what Arizona did. Make it retractable. Like, if you're going to spend the billion dollars, right. throw a couple million on a retractable dome and, and save yourself. A couple million? Do you have any idea yeah. the engineering it takes to make that thing work and not fall yeah, down about, all the people inside? Come on. Yeah, about that's, $2 million. That's probably a $300 million upgrade. That's got to be super expensive, <laughs> those retractable roofs. Worth that's a, every that's a penny. Feat. That's a feat of engineering. That's, How much like, money are incredible. you losing on the canceled ball games for, uh, because of rain or because you start at 11 p.m.? in minnesota minnesota's got terrible weather i mean chicago's bad minnesota's <laughs> awful weather yeah it's crazy it's brutal yeah what's your i mean aside from i've been to minneapolis twice and aside like you know all the the, the stuff going on aside i think it's a really cool city i think it's a super underrated city how do you feel about about your wife's hometown it's great. I mean, it's really cool being up there. I mean, obviously, this it's kind of the heart of, of what's going on right now. But, um, you know, politically and socially, I guess is a better way of putting it. But um, the, the Twin Cities, uh, it's, it's interesting because unlike where I'm from, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me um, is that, like, I'm from an area where almost the entire nation comes to live there to work in the government or mm -hmm. it's a very, it's a very diverse area. And in the twin cities, it's the opposite. Uh, you know, when you go to a sports bar to watch an NFL game in DC, uh, you know, you're going to see fans of almost every NFL team, you know, fighting to watch a screen. And I remember going to watch my Redskins in Minnesota <laughs> And it was a day where the Vikings were playing on Monday Night Football. So they weren't even playing. And the Redskins, you know, were, of course, terrible. And, and playing a late-season game <laughs> that meant nothing. And I'm going into a bar to watch this game. And almost everybody in the bar is wearing a Vikings jersey. And they looked at me like I was like a uh, – you know, uh, you know, like like the a dodo bird or something. You know, like 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 you've never seen something like this before. Like it's an extinct, you know, creature. So, uh, so Minneapolis, Minnesota, Twin Cities. You've got a lot of people that grew up there and stay there and are very proud to be from there. It's also the other thing that stands out to me. It's kind of weird, but it's a very fit place. Like if you go into gyms there, they're like three to four times the size of gyms here in the DC Baltimore area. And I think we have regular size gyms, but like there, they, you know, they just have such a need. I mean, everybody is very active, especially in a place where you're inside two thirds of the year. Yeah. How, how much of a premium is real estate over in DC right now? Yeah. That was the first thing that came to mind. It's like, yeah, our gyms right. are tiny because otherwise the economics <laughs> don't work. It's already a hundred bucks a month. It's a hundred bucks a month for a pretty average gym up here. Two yeah. treadmills and an elliptical. <laughs> That's what you get. Yeah. If you want a really, like a really nice gym, like one of the, uh, like an Equinox, I don't know what Equinox costs in here in DC. It's probably 100, like 180 bucks a month for 200. I don't know, but pretty average is about 100. So that seems uh, pretty reasonable. But yeah, I mean, in Chicago, I feel bad for you guys because it's a <laughs> magical, it's a magical place in the summer. It's such a cool city in the summer. It's such a miserable city in the winter. It's still like yeah. kind of okay, but. This is no, the this is got, your time. This is your time. You've got like June to you get like Memorial Day through Labor Day. Like that's, yep. that's well, it gets cold did. really fast afterwards. I mean, it drops off in a hurry. When the yeah, there is gone. no there's no there's, like middle ground. There's no like fall. Like fall is like a week. 
where you've got yeah. like that, oh, it's like 70 out and then it goes down to 60 at night. And like, no, it's 70 out and it goes on a 37 at night. <laughs> you're wearing, and you're wondering like, where, like, where's my winter jacket? You can't yeah, even it goes, find it. It goes from t-shirt <laughs> to Canada brutal. goose in, in less than a month. Yeah, it's brutal. And if you don't have a Canada goose jacket in Chicago, you might as well sleep in a dumpster. Like you're a nobody. <laughs> you're a nobody. It's a thousand dollar jackets everywhere. So Adam, uh, tell us a little bit about the pulse of minor league baseball right now, because obviously it's, there's a lot of turmoil. It looks like the minor league season is not happening. I mean, is that officially confirmed right. or no? I mean, it's just, just about is. Yeah. I, you know, obviously I'm a little surprised it's not official yet, but you're seeing stadiums that are booking events, uh, you know, at their ballparks for, for places in which they would have played games. So it's, it's, um, it's hard to believe this has happened. I mean, it's affected every industry obviously greatly but it's a complete loss for minor league baseball and if you think of it on a business side um it's such an effect over a two-year deal because you know usually for minor league teams about a third to 40 percent of the money they bring in is sponsorship money so all of the advertising dollars for this year um, they're going to have to be pushed in next year. You know, the goal is to not pay your advertisers back and have them keep their money with you so that you're just doing your, their advertisement in 2021. And then, and you know, and then of course, who knows what the climate will be as far as attending big sporting events in 2021. So it's not like a, okay, you know, you're biting the bullet here, but you're back to trying a 100% revenue season next year. I mean, I know that there's a good chance that people's revenues will be 50 to 65% uh, if, if lucky in 2021. So because of that, it's been a disaster. I, I really think that I'm very lucky to still be employed, but I mean, about, I, I really think about 60 and more like 70% of people that were full-time employees on the business side of minor league baseball have been let go. And, and many of them, I would say at least half or a little bit more than half of them. So one third of the industry won't, you know, won't be, you know, won't be back next year. Um, and then in the same regard, you know, for players, it's so tough because, it, you have such a finite time to make it. Yeah. So it's yeah. going to stunt the progression and growth of, of even your top prospects. But, you know, let's say you're a guy that just made double A and you're 24 years old in 2020. Well, you need to have a big season, you know, to prove that you should be a guy looked upon to be a potential big league ball player. And if you don't get that opportunity, well, there's a whole nother crop of guys coming up next year. So I really feel for uh, a lot of the ball players that we have. And, uh, but to be honest, it's affecting everybody. I mean, down yeah. to the scouts and the, in the staffs and everybody. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, people, you know, think, Oh, they're still young, but really, I mean, most guys get what Bobby three years in the minor leagues and they're done. Yeah. You I mean, that's average Adam, maybe that's 33% of people's careers. Well. Yeah. Adam knows as well. Anybody, I, even if you get three years in the minor leagues or four or five or however many years, I mean, your, your chance to make it is like one and a half. I mean, you only have like that age window. Otherwise you're just a filler for the guys that are still in that age window, um, which is fine. I mean, guys, you know, there are guys that sneak up through, you know, that, that absolutely tear it up and get called up or, you know, they, they, the, you know, the stars align and they make it to the big leagues, but 
that's not like that's <laughs> not the the roadmap to get to the big leagues or play you know in the major leagues by any by any stretch. So you've got a lot of guys. I mean, I know they let go. What was it? A thousand minor leaguers like got released on that right. like that D day of minor league baseball. But those guys, I mean, realistically, probably ninety nine percent of those guys would have had absolutely no shot based on where their organization saw them and the opportunities they were going to get. But it's still, you don't want to be the guy that, so let's take someone who had like my career where he got pushed into a position based on injury, did kind of well. And then you don't want to be that guy that's like got some momentum. And then all of a sudden this happens. And now you like, you lose all your momentum and you also mm-hmm. drop a year. Like you're, you're a college guy that loses that year. I mean, it's not like being a high school guy where you might have a little chance to catch up. It's, it's, it sucks. I mean, it just, there's no other way to describe it. The yeah. feeling it must be where you worked all winter and <laughs> yeah. now what do you do? Now you're driving Uber. Like it's just, it's terrible. I mean, I've got a kid that works with me that does lessons and he's a year out of college hoping to mm-hmm. have indie ball lined up and that indie ball season's not playing. And I know it's, you know, indie ball's a far cry right out of college from the big leagues, but you're talking about a kid who, who potentially, you know, could get paid to play baseball and put it on his resume, professional baseball player. And he probably at this point has to get a real job and probably will not spend another six months training <laughs> just for indie ball. Like he'll probably just right. enter the workforce and he'll never get that shot. And it's kind of bad timing. I mean, it's bad timing and all around. And then when you think about it, you know, the, the double whammy is that it's looking like um, the lowest levels of the minors, you know, the uh, rookie advanced in Bobby, you played in Bluefield, right? I did for did yeah. I played yeah. That. So the, so the Appalachian League and then the the next level up, which in the Orioles organization is Aberdeen, but the New York Penn League short season A ball is going to be eliminated. And what the minor leagues is going to be is every all thirty teams with their four full season affiliates: low A, high A, double A, and triple A. So you think about it, and this is insane. But you know the major league draft was five rounds. And teams are now signing these senior signs for $20,000 afterwards. Yeah. And it's hard to make, you know, for, for some of the lower round picks. I mean, Bobby did so. But it's hard to make uh, a full season affiliate sometimes in your first full year. A lot of guys would actually play in Aberdeen in their first, you know, first season after being drafted and then hope to get up to like a low A. But there's a chance that if you don't make, like you could get drafted or signed, go through spring training next year and not make that low A roster out of spring training, and, and you could be released without ever playing a professional baseball game. I mean, that that's almost hard to comprehend. You know, being yeah. a, a you know a, a, a really good college baseball player getting signed and never playing one minor league baseball game—it's wild. It's so difficult to to explain, like to people like how it works, like how does, how does the minor leagues work? Like, you know, do you just get moved up? You know, you, okay. Your second year, you get moved to, you know, a ball, then your third year, you get moved to double a and whatever. It's like, it doesn't work like that. And then you've got, like, you've got guys that are ahead of you. I mean, people don't understand like double A's where Adam is at is kind of, that is the, that's the level you want to be at if you're young. Like that's the most talent. That's, that's where you make the jump as a prospect to the big leagues. Triple A is a lot of filler guys, like guys that probably have been in the big leagues before. A guy that uh, we've had on the podcast, like Zach Clark, where he's like a guy that could probably yeah. step in. We had Zach on, Adam. He 
he'll love it. He'll love yeah. those Remember when he was throwing knuckleballs? That was crazy. Yeah, he's, <laughs> that's exactly what we talked about for the most part. But the AAA is like a holding pattern where if you just need someone to come up for a weekend because a guy's like on leave or you know whatever for whatever reason he's hurt, he's got a seven day, ten day DL. That's where you get those guys. But guys you're going to bring up for the long haul that are your big time prospects come from AA. So you're like to explain that to people like, Oh, you know, you're in triple A. It's like, uh, it's not as, sometimes it's not as good. Sometimes it's not, it's not as beneficial to like for me as a prospect or me as a potential big leaguer to be at that level. And now you're getting rid of the lower level teams. Like you said, the Aberdeen, which Aberdeen was, <laughs> I never played in Aberdeen, but that Penn right. league is like, you know, Brooklyn, Staten Island. Like those are big time. Those are cities that like towns that is a minor leaguer you want to go to. Cause we're in, terrible towns a lot of times where it's there's just a applebee's so like that's a that's <laughs> right. a league that's a league where out of college you, you want to go to that league like that's a that's a good league to be in it's got a lot of good talent some nice stadiums and that's just so, wiped out now so adam is is that accurate in your uh in your experience that guys tend to take that leap from double a right to the big leagues more often than not or i mean do you see like the premium prospects when a premium prospect, you know, a guy on the on the sure, sure. high up list, when he comes to Double A, do you say, okay, this is his last stop before the big leagues, or do you usually see them go to Triple A after that? I I think now even um, I, I think most players that are major leaguers did play Triple A baseball, but I mean, look, if you look back, like just in the, with the Orioles in the last fifteen years, some of the biggest prospects like. Manny Machado and Dylan Bundy, you know, they never played in AAA. So I think the thing that stands out is a lot of times um, you'll, organizations are wanting guys to play at least a, a full season in AA. And that's the major proving ground. And so what you'll, if you look at the career stats of major leaguers, um, you'll see that they played a lot longer in AA than they played in AAA. So I, I think about a guy like Matt Wieters that, that had such a, a very quick rise. And Wieters was like a half season in AA, three months in AA, and then he played 20 games in AAA. So a lot of times, too, with the, um, the, the contract status, you know, to try to get for a major prospect an extra year on the back end of their contract, you know, they won't call up a prospect until late May. I know with the Blue Jays, we saw that last year with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., where he should have been to the big leagues right out of the gate, but they're trying to, you know, make it so he's not a free agent for an extra year, especially in the year last year where they're probably not going to win. So you, you, uh, you see it quite often where a guy will play a full season in double A. And then the next year, you know, there's a lot of talk about them, you know, maybe being on the major league roster. And then, you know, you see guys making comments about how they might just not yet be ready. And really it's just a way to try to get an extra year at the end of their contract, on the, you know, uh, before they hit free agency and they end up coming up in late May, no matter how they're doing. Right. Hmm. So what, what do you think uh, going forward with, <laughs> you know, losing? So obviously the minor leagues are going to lose teams. Looks like one, maybe two per organization how do you feel like that dynamic is going to change you know it, well for me personally i i started in the appalachian league it's it's just one of these things where um it's going to hurt uh players that are drafted you know in the later rounds that are older players 
it's going to give a chance to less less ball players. If I remember right, Bobby, weren't you a 16th rounder? Yeah. Like, but like, so I think about guys like Bobby and like of his timetable, like Ty Kelly that reached the major league. You know, you, you really have a chance um, to play for a long time um, if you have success as a minor league baseball player. And sometimes, you know, we only think about the guys like the Garrett Coles that are making $36 million a year. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times guys that are later round draft choices either make the big leagues or are able to have a 10-year career. And unfortunately, this is going to make it uh, so that less small players have an opportunity. The other aspect, I think, though, is just the marketing of the game of baseball. Um, I think half our country lives in major cities now and half lives outside of it. And I think there is a feeling in the United States that that uh, how you're marketed to as a consumer and you know everything is geared towards the half of the country that lives in major cities and minor league baseball, you know, not so much for a team like a buoy that's right outside DC and near Baltimore. But when you think about teams that are going to lose their team, like Billings, Montana and, you know, Johnson city, Tennessee, and, you know, places like this, it's like that minor league ball team is, is really one of the major things of their town. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's sad. It, It takes away a lot of the quality of life. And uh, there is a romance to minor league baseball in that, you know, you're seeing people that are going to become famous before they're really known. uh, And you're seeing people really pursue a dream and it's a very affordable family fun thing. So it's sad that, that, you know, a quarter of the industry will more than likely be taken away. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And then didn't you have, you have like the, the economics of it where a lot of these people do work at the stadium and they, and they ha- and they're, you know, a lot of hotels and, and restaurants kind of revolve around, you know, that summertime period where the team is in, is playing and you have people coming in town, not, not necessarily tourists, quote unquote, when Bowie goes into play Altoona, but you've got people coming into town to, you know, <coughs> go eat at the restaurants, go shopping. Oh, yeah. like it's, there's yeah, a lot of, pumps a lot of money goes, in the economy. Yeah. One, yeah, one way to think of it is, you know, uh, Frederick, there was a time where the keys were in a lease issue and an independent team tried to come in and kind of take away Frederick from the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I remember that, that was a couple, I remember that yeah. four years ago or something. It was relatively it was, recent, yeah, longer think, than that, I think. Yeah, it was early 20 teens. And um, and what happened was that we did a lot of economic studies and you know, the Frederick Keys are almost the exact same economic impact to the state of Maryland as the Preakness. And, you know, the Preakness is one day, but obviously that's one of the most famous uh, sporting events that the state has. And uh, it brings millions of people here. And uh, But for Frederick, I mean, it's it's over the course of the year, it's, it's just about the same economic impact for the county of Frederick so, and for the city. So... Bobby's right. It's a big deal. I know that we would buoy pay almost a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, in hotel rooms, you know, for players and, and, and everybody that goes around with them. So, so hotels are, uh, you know, desperately want our business, you know, because it's, it's a huge, huge chunk. And you've got the minor league teams that do a really good job with production. Like Frederick, there's, like the stadium's lively. They do a good job in the community. There's the, they do a lot of with the schools. Like there's a, 
there's there's more impact. I mean, I'm sure there's people that grew up in Frederick, like the Keys are their team. And that's not like, it's not the Orioles. It's the, like the Keys is their team. That's what they follow. That's right. They have season tickets. They, you know, their kids know the mascot. They're, they, you know, they do the job fair at this, at the stadium. Like the, it serves a bigger purpose in a lot of these smaller towns. Um, a lot more than you would think if you coming from like a Chicago or DC or, or, where major, you know, major sports teams are prevalent. It's these are this is very prominent in the small towns. It's weird too because in the same way, it does help make major league fans too. I know, like the Orioles were in Rochester, New York forever. Uh, Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, and there was a lot of pride in that. Uh, um, and those great Oriole teams of the '70s and early '80s, you know, a lot of people in upstate New York were Oriole fans. You know, so. It's strange, but we talked about that internally about Frederick. If Frederick does lose an Orioles affiliate and let's say they would become a Nationals affiliate, well, that's a big market. Frederick is the biggest city in Maryland that has minor league baseball in it. And you don't want – it's kind of a a mixed Washington or – Baltimore market it's almost equidistant between those two cities yeah um so so you know a lot of reason why more people are Orioles fans in Frederick is because of the Keys and if the Keys were a Nats team that would probably change especially with uh you know the fact that the Nats are world champions right now and the Orioles have the number two pick of the draft yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Uh, so the Nationals' single A affiliate is the Potomac Nationals, and they're building them a new ballpark. So they're right, clearly not right. going anywhere. But then, but I is, think is Hager, Hagerstown, Hagerstown, yeah, that's, that's a hike. Yeah. yeah, and that Hagerstown is 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 going to be without baseball. That'll be one of these teams. I mean, you know, they probably have the worst facility uh, in the South Atlantic League. Uh, <laughs> kind of one of the funny things. Uh, you know, I had a manager and. and they play at a historic – whenever you hear that a stadium is historic, one of my old managers goes, you know, that, that basically means it's shitty. <laughs> yeah, you know? So, <laughs> so it's a historic municipal stadium in Hagerstown, but uh, that's like a 100-year-old ballpark. And they, they tried to get a new ballpark there about 10 years ago and failed. So yeah, so they might be on the outside, and that might be the hole where Aberdeen would become, you know, one of the four full-season affiliates of the Orioles – and a Frederick or Delmarva possibly could become the low A affiliate for the Nationals, or you know, it, it might shake out. No one knows that'll shake out, but that's just a guess. Yeah, it's really interesting how affiliations change just so regularly. I mean, <laughs> I know. teams just, oh yeah, we're not the Rockies anymore, and we're now the Blue Jays. Like, oh okay. Yeah, so I guess it matters it where, where you're at, you know, because like I know Portland, Maine, like they're desperate to stay a Red Sox affiliate. Uh, Trenton, New Jersey's desperate to stay a Yankees affiliate, but we built it. The our league and the Eastern League built an incredible new ballpark in Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and they are selling that thing out every night. And they're the Colorado Rockies Double A affiliate. Well, obviously mm-hmm. nobody in Hartford's a Rockies fan, but all the other teams, you know, Portland, uh, Binghamton, which is the Mets, and Trenton, mm-hmm. which are the Yankees. It's so important to those cities that they keep that affiliation. It means so much money. But, you know, in due time, I, I'd be surprised if Hartford doesn't soak up a New York or Boston affiliate. And, and then, you know, how would that play out? So it's, it's kind of, yeah. you know, it, it's, teams are always fighting. And organizations want their players to play in the best facilities possible. Yeah, and the Hartford thing is interesting because they, the Rockies <laughs> affiliate was right down the street in New Britain. 
or they're the new Britain Rockcats. And now Correct. Britain is in Correct. the Atlantic League. You know, I played against them my last year in the Atlantic League. So that flip flop was was interesting. It's like, why did you just leave there just to go down the street? But I guess it was just for the new ballpark. I mean, obviously, new ballpark always makes sense, but. But yeah, and, and of course they weren't. I don't think they were drawing super well for when they were still the Rockcats. But then their attendance exploded. I don't know if am I remembering that right that they weren't drawing oh, well. Oh yeah, maybe? I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a disaster, but it's it's kind of like one of these things where, um, you know, with the Bowie Bay Sox, where Bowie is not the big city in, in our area. It's Annapolis, you know. But when the team was put in, there was no national, so the thought was let's put the team closer to DC. So people from DC will come up and watch. And now since the nationals are there, like if you built a minor league baseball team in our area, it would be in Annapolis. It wouldn't be in Bowie. I mean, so I think that, um, uh, it, it, the, the ballpark can be an economic engine and Hartford, um, is a town that doesn't have much, you know, things like nightlife and it's kind of just a worker's town. Like you go in, you work and you go home. So I think that the ballpark has been enormous in helping the restaurants because it's a block from downtown and it's rejuvenating. Uh, they're hoping to build up around and make that area around that ballpark nicer. And you've seen that a lot in major league baseball. I know that I went to college in North Carolina and it took a long time to happen, but that's happened with the Durham Bulls, like the Durham stadium. If you walk around the Durham Bulls stadium now, it's, it's so nice. And if you walked around it when I was in college 20 years ago, when that ballpark was two or three years old, like, you know, it, it was a really downtrodden area. So, so that's, that's gotta be the hope and to bring more people into the city, but it's been an enormous success because um, I think they sold out, 50 of their 70 games last year. I mean, it's, it was unbel it's unbelievable. I mean, mm -hmm. it feels when you go to Hartford, like you're playing in a major league baseball stadium. It's just a 7,000 seat stadium, not a 40,000 seat stadium. Yeah. Have you been to a St. Paul Saints game since uh, your, your wife's from there? I haven't actually. I'd love to go. I mean, you know, I wonder one of, if their ballpark's I mean, still they, there. They play they in get... September, too. We usually yeah. go up around Christmas time, which is the joke. You know, we talked about the weather out of the gate. And there I am in Minnesota when it's negative 10. But, but um, the St. Saint Paul Saints are, are one of the most famous teams in the history of, the minor, of professional, you know, minor league baseball, even though it's not minor league baseball. It's independent baseball. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's been due to their promotions and they have a new ballpark or a fairly new ballpark, I believe. Yeah. It's like only like four. I think it's only three years old or four years old. And it's funny. I, uh, I pitched there in their old municipal stadium, which again was one of those same crappy old stadiums. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. We have a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> this is little Allie. Allie, welcome to the morning brushback. <laughs> Making your first podcast appearance quite young. Yeah. Good job. She Not her last. To, she just wants me to change the song she's watching. So, mm. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I pitched for Fargo against St. Paul. That, yeah. And uh, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I pitched in St. Paul on a Friday night in the middle of the summer, and our bus is pulling up at like three o'clock, and the and the stadium is packed. And the uh, the parking lot is packed, and you're like, "What is going on? This isn't normal. There's never anyone here." You know, when the visitors bus rolls up, and then uh, you know, pe the people are just camped out there. They're just, you know, did you ever play there, Bobby? I guess you didn't play in the American Association. No, I never. I know St. Paul 
uh, draws really well because I, I help coach the, the dogs team out here and they they always talk about how, how impressive so, playing yeah, out there so is. Yeah, and so this Friday night, I guess it was just a, honestly a typical one, but they were completely sold out and they had – so many fans that they took an, that orange like fake construction fence. They're just like that. It's like a webbing. They would you could catch dolphins yeah. in if you threw in the ocean. They took that in the in the right field and left field lines, and they just like sort of roped off the corners. Um. So let me let me catch you up, Adam. So when <laughs> yes. I when I, I played in Saint, I was listening. Okay. So so yeah. So it was sold. It was sold out on this Friday night that I was starting against St. Paul in their old stadium. And what they did was they took that orange construction, that, that plastic mesh fence, and they just roped off and made right and left field corners shorter. They just like roped off the, the warning <laughs> tracks so they could fit two or three rows of just like folding chairs there. And I was like, what Crazy. is happening? And people, the place was just mobbed, just mobbed. And it was a really steep, one of those old steep municipal stadiums where it's just like all the fans go straight up right at the backstop and just, it was like like over seven thousand people in a ballpark that could maybe hold like five. It was just bonkers, and it was such a fun atmosphere. Was, I I actually beat them four to one. My parents were there. It's like the only game I won all season. I pitched terrible that summer, but great that night. <laughs> and so it just like you saw that, and you're like, wow, this is such a special thing. Just like for this this whole area, like they had so much fun. The fans were there. They were, right. they're camped out. They're tailgating. It was just such a buzz. They were doing all this promotional stuff in between. It was just like so cool, and that's what's really sad that people have missed out on this summer because that's like the best thing you could take your family to, more so than a major league game. Just such a cool atmosphere. But yeah, they got a new ballpark now, so that's well, great. Yeah, and, and it's, it's so close. It's so close to to Minneapolis. I mean, I know uh, Twin Cities, right? Like, obviously they're 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 close to each other, but putting a putting a team right next to Minnesota, where I know Minnesota struggles to draw as well, like the Twins themselves. And then you've got a minor league team down the road that's just packing the house. Granted, it's a fraction of what the Twins would need to pack their place, but it's just like the the loyalty of some of these, like the the fans, like oh, this is our team, like St. Paul, this is our team, this is our team, mm -hmm. and it's they don't feel that connection maybe with the Twins more, uh, you know, as much as they do with this this local minor league team. Yeah, it is a different product. You know, there's no doubt about it. Minor League Baseball than Major League Baseball. I, I, obviously, when you're going to a Major League game, you know, you're going to sit further away. You are watching players you know and a team you've grown up, you know, rooting for. But on the minor league side, I mean, you're just right on the action. It's affordable. The players, you know, are going to come and sign an autograph for you. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great experience. Yeah, and, and I – you don't as a single guy. I know Bobby's got a, a little one on the way, and you're married, but you don't I think about it. the expense of things until you start tabulating. <laughs> yeah. Like my sister has two kids now, and it's like, all right, anytime they do anything now, it's one, two, three, times one, two, three, four, right? So you go to a, a major league game, and you you are spending two hundred fifty dollars to drive there, park oh, I know. your four tickets, I know. any food. I mean, it's probably more than that, and it's just so hard to stomach, like maybe paying 400 bucks for a game because a $40 ticket plus your parking, your driving, you know, a hot dog or shake shack at the ballpark just adds up so fast and it's rough. And then this, all this stuff happening with money right now, like people don't have time for that. They don't have sympathy for that. That's what's yeah, really going to hurt baseball. In the economic downturn, you know, 
2008 or 2009 in the minor leagues financially, what we saw is that our sponsorship money went way down, but the amount of people going to games went up. Yeah. I mean, they really should run, you know, uh, Perpendicular, together, I mean, yeah. they should be parallel. That is to each other, but the reason for it is because nobody was taking vacations. Like everybody, that's when the term staycation came into being. You know, it was like, hey, let's stay at home and and uh, instead of going to the beach and spending all this money, let's let's just go to the movies one night, go putt putt another night, go to the ballpark another night. You know, it's so much cheaper. So, you know, another thing too is like, you see the power. You know, Dan, from your story, reminded me of some like the power of baseball. When when I started working here in Bowie, my, my wife and I was the first time that we bought a house. And so um, you find out how all these things go. And amazingly, the guy that did the loan for my house is a former minor league baseball player. And um, and he was probably in his early mid 30s. And uh, his name's Chad. And I looked at his stats and I was like, oh, man, Chad was good. You know, he was a left-handed pitcher. You know, he was kind of a late-round draft choice, but he was, uh, you know, back-to-back years at AA, um, you know, with a two-and-a-half ERA out of the bullpen. I'm like, as a lefty, you know, this guy had a real chance. And he finally kind of broke down and told me a story that, like, you know, he went into spring training and knew this was the year, you know, that final year of his career, and he hurt his shoulder. And, of course, for a pitcher, that that could be devastating. And and it was for him. I mean, he never really got back. He only pitched one more year. He was out all that year. The next year he pitched a little bit. His career was over. And he had told me that he had never gone to a game. It had been over 10 years. He hadn't been able to go to a, a baseball game again. And I told him, like, I knew he had two young girls, And they were very proud of the fact that he was a baseball player. But I was like, man, you got to take your kids to a a game. So I gave him tickets to a Bay Sox game. And I saw him afterwards, after the fireworks show, and his girls had ran the bases because they were like four and six years old. And his wife was beaming. And, I mean, it was like a big moment for their family. It was like they had overcome you know, something internally. And, and I think that that, you know, it's, it's really cool when you see that happen. And sometimes when you work at a ballpark all the time, you take, you know, some of that magic for granted. Yeah. Bobby, do you have that sort of experience after you retired? I think you hit the ground running a little easier than I did, but did you have that bitterness at any point? Um, not really. Uh, I, I kind of eased out of baseball because I did the, my last year I was hurt with Southern Maryland blue crabs, I was hurt the whole second half of the year with a, right. with a groin thing. And if you, you know, we all know as you get hurt in the minor leagues or an in, excuse me, independent ball, like they're really not put, you know, knocking your door down to pay for any surgery or anything like that. It's just kind of <laughs> you know, make sure you make sure you rest it and ice it. So that kind of lingered, it lingered. And I know if I was, I don't know if I wanted to play or whether, let alone if I could. So then my last, I guess, quote unquote playing year was in Europe. And that was like, uh, it was like playing, you know, going from 140 games to playing only double headers on Saturday. It was like a, I transitioned out. Plus, I was in the Czech Republic living. So it was like a whole new life experience. Um, so, like, baseball took me somewhere I never thought I would be, but it transitioned me out a little bit easier than I guess someone you know, bringing you in the office and saying, hey, you know, we can't use you anymore. Right. Uh, I yeah. guess I kind of got a chance to go out on my own terms, you know, for whatever, for whatever that means. Or I, 
I would have been told to stop playing if I was staying in the U.S. at some point, but I guess I got to, got to make that own decision myself, which was nice. And I don't have any regrets uh, playing wise or going to going to Europe was a great decision. I'd go back. Yeah, that's a so regret. Had, yeah, and I had two gaps, so I had Tommy John twice, Adam. If you didn't know that, but wow, how about that? So yeah, and those two year periods, like you have a lot of time, and you're home for the mm-hmm. summer for the first time, and like friends are like going to games and stuff, and they're inviting you and. and I went to one, I think it was after my first surgery and I, mm-hmm. my first surgery ended my college career. So I came back from my fifth year and had to sit through it and then I hit the summer and I was just, you just like, can't, it's like watching, I don't know, like watching your spouse, like cheating on you or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it, was just, it was just, there was just this intense, like I should be out there. It's not fair that I'm out there. These guys aren't better than me. There's just nothing, nothing fun about being on the field when you feel like you and I've never been the person who's like, this wasn't fair. Like you just, your life is what it is. And that's how I've always taken it. But you just know that they, the guys out there who got money, who were like on this list, they didn't earn anything more than you did. They just, their, you know, journey up the stream, like, you know, all these salmon are vying to get up, you know, to go spawn. And like theirs was just a little easier, but they just were a little lucky. And I wasn't lucky. And that feeling finally wore off this past year because I retired after 2016. I tried to play in 17. My shoulder was what ended me finally mm-hmm. for the two years after I couldn't go to a game. And then uh, I went to two Nats games last year just by myself. And it was, it was, it was nice. And it just, at a certain point when you get closure for me, like I wrote a book about my career and after that was done, that was a big part of my, my closure personally. And after that, and you started like go back through it and you know, who you are and what you did and you realize that, you know, I don't have any regrets and I was as good as I could be. And I could have been out there if things were different, then you can go and watch the guys that are on the field and say, yeah, I could have been there. If things were different, I could have, but I, but they weren't. And I'm okay with that now. And until you get to that place, just the ballpark just is not a good place. You just can't go back. So, yeah, I can yeah. see guys that don't want to go back, that. like be around guys, <laughs> you're around guys that like, Oh, I can't watch baseball. Like, Right, they, get, they feel resentment. I don't feel any resentment. I just don't want to watch that much baseball. Like the the game, it's kind of I'm I'm more indicative of the fan that they're trying to get. Like, how do we draw somebody in for three hours to watch a game every single day? Like, I just not, you know, I'm much more inclined to listen on the radio, honestly, to a to a baseball game in general than I am to watch it, just because it's like it's background noise almost. Like I almost treat you not like a podcast of per se, but it's like, background for me too. Yeah, I'd say the same. Yeah. Like, how, how do you watch games, Adam? I mean, do you go to? Do you ever get a chance to go to other games? Yeah, you know, I was joking. I we we uh, when I was a kid, I didn't even know this, but like when my family came to the country a hundred years ago, one part of my grandfather's family actually left uh, Europe or the you know uh, Western or Eastern Europe that is, and they went to England. <laughs> so I we met all these third cousins over the years and one of them is just a sports nut like me and he loves baseball and i joke with him that he went to more baseball games he lives outside london last year he went to more major league games than i did because he went to the london series (laughs) and Mm. then he he did a week you know a two-week trip to the united states he went to like three games so so it's kind of weird because when you work in in minor league baseball as a broadcaster and you're doing a game every night for five months um when it's over you know, do you just want to go and watch major league games? It, it's tricky because like a lot of it too, is you want to network a little bit with the major leagues. So you want to go there. So I try professionally to go to Camden yards 
at least once a year. Uh, but yeah, last year I think I went to two big league games. It's rare that I go to a big league game as a fan, but I love it. I mean, I think that a big part of baseball is really understanding the intricacies of the game. And I'm completely with Bobby though on this, that I think baseball's got a major problem in that the games are too long. And I, I, I kind of have a weird feeling on this, but I, I, the, the baseballs are so juiced right now in the major leagues. Yeah. The proof to me was what happened in AAA baseball last year. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, um, you know, last year the Norfolk Tides hit the same amount of home runs they had done as a team the year before in their 71st game out of 140. <laughs> and so they is, were hitting double For those of you listening, this is because they switched the Major League ball, right? Correct. They in went AAA. from the minor league ball yeah. to the major league ball. It was also funny because we – uh, the base That's crazy. We, we crazy. went to the finals last year, and, and um, of course, the Yankees ended up pulling up you know, multiple major league rehabbing pitchers. The Yankees had so many, um, you know, so many injuries last year and they had Severino and Betances and, but major league rehabbers, people don't realize this. They, when they make a rehab appearance, they pitch with a major league baseball and it was unbelievable. Like we did better as a team against the major league pitchers, <laughs> you know, because, you know, there was a line drive to center and their center fielder ran in two steps and then was like, oh, my God. And that ball sailed over his head by, you know, 15, 20 feet. And it was a huge triple for the Bay Sox. But I, I just I, – I think that, um, you know, one of the big things of the game of baseball is that the home run has become what every hitter is trying to achieve, you know, with the – you know, how they swing the bat, try to get more elevation and loft, you know, trying to not hit the ball into the ground. And because of yeah. that, pitching has changed. You're seeing the two-seam fastball go by the wayside, which, you know, like even 10 years ago was so prevalent. I mean, everybody was throwing a two-seam. I almost felt, feel like in 2010, you'd see more two-seamers than four-seamers. And it was all about keep the ball down in the zone and try to get contact and try not to have these deep counts. And now the game of pitching – is all about trying to strike everybody out. So the game is going longer, and uh, you're seeing four-seam fastballs, high fastballs, you know, changing the eye level. Um, guys are swinging up at the ball, so therefore, you know, you're in a situation where, you know, where due to the fact that they're swinging up at the ball, you know, you can really get them with that high heat. It's really hard to, to hit a high fastball. And you're just seeing more home runs and you're seeing way more strikeouts. And so there's less balls being put in play. The games are lasting longer, and there's less strategy to the game. Uh, the game basically is whoever can hit the home run, you know, and yeah. uh, I think that that's unfortunate. I really think deadening the baseball, putting in a pitch clock, doing whatever you can to make it a two-hour 30 to two-hour 45-minute game um, where uh, – there's value to more players than just guys that have big power is, um, you know, is really where the game should be looking at heading. I agree. And it's, it's funny. So I, this was an illegal thing that I did, but I took my camera to the Nats game and I tried to get a little yeah. bit of footage to use for just for YouTube and whatever. And I got some photos too. You um, I know, I know I'm such a monster, but one of the big things I was trying to capture <laughs> because I use this to help teach the game on the web. I think it's, you know, you're not going to get slow motion video of good players unless you go to a game and get it yourself. I mean, there's some, but not that right. much. 
at least I like that some of the, the little things like fielding a ground ball, like their technique doing that, like they're not going to slow motion that, you know, they're going to do a pitcher and, and, and hitter. So anyway, so I'm, I'm trying to get ground balls. I'm trying to get to, to watch an infielder in slow-mo fielding a ground ball and the way they throw. That was like kind of on my list of things I wanted to catch. I could, it, it was so hard to get a ground ball in the big league game because no one's hitting them. <laughs> no and that, one's and hitting that's when you really ball. start to realize that, yeah, they're striking out or they're flying out. And then I went right. to an Atlantic League game like the next week, and there were so many more ground balls. It was like these are completely different games. Like if you haven't been yeah. to two to compare them, they're so different. Like you literally can go four innings without seeing a ground ball sometimes in the big leagues, it seems like. That's probably it's not wild. exactly true, but the, the ratios <laughs> of strikeouts and fly balls to ground balls is, is so much different than in, in lower levels of baseball because it's just the way they change it. And of course, the Atlantic no League—they love hitting dingers too. There's so many guys are ambushing. It's not like they're trying to hit ground balls because they're not. <laughs> they're trying to right. hit 25 jacks by the by the All Star break and get signed, right? Um, but yet the game is just—it's just so different. So yeah, I think the—I mean, the problem Major League Baseball has, I, in my opinion, in it's what made baseball great is the frequency of baseball. Like it's hard right. to dedicate daily three hours i mean the length of the game like football games go three and a half four hours nobody's complaining about football games granted there's more there's probably more action going on in between football games but there's really not i mean you get eight seconds of action three and a half hours of baseball is boring it just is it just three and a half hours of baseball once a week frequency would be just as popular as football the problem is it's three and a half hours seven days a week so I don't think baseball – like two, two hours and 45 minutes and three hours and 15 minutes makes no difference if it's daily because it's daily. Like that's – the fact that it's daily makes it so much more difficult to draw fans in because I, I relate it to working out. Like I like working out. I enjoy going to the gym. I can't go to the gym an hour and a half every single day. I just don't have the time. Yeah, so the people that do people, that, they're not really working that hard. But it, right, but like even if you're doing it, like it's just hard. It's just hard to find the time. Like people just don't have that amount of time daily. And you're, you know, you're selling season tickets and you're selling 81 games to a major league season is insane. I know. Like who insane. can attend eight unless you're retired? Like that's it's insane. So to I mean I think it's the more so the frequency of baseball where you've got it. You know, 28 out of 30 days a month. How do you drop? And you're drawing from us like there's only so many people that like baseball. It's not like you're drawing from the whole population. And you're like, oh, we could find thirty thousand every single day. No, you're trying to find thirty thousand of that select group of people that actually like going to baseball games and that can afford going to baseball games. So your pool is so much different than like a football fan, where you might go to one football game out of eight a year, and you might not even be that big of a football fan, but that's like a whole daily event. It's like going to a concert almost. Uh, I have two I have two thoughts on that. First of all, that makes baseball what it is because obviously half the players on a team are pitchers. And like if you think about if football played 162 games or if let's say that Tom Brady could only play two and a half quarters once every five games, you know, like Clinton Kershaw, you know, when he was at his apex or Garrett Cole now, I mean, out of five starts, so what is five times nine? You know, 45 innings, he's going to throw like six of those 45 innings. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. Right. Like if it was if he was a goalie in hockey or a uh, quarterback in football, he would be out there for all 45 innings. 
Right. So that makes baseball unique, and it's the reason why, obviously, even the best baseball teams still lose like 60 games a year. But the um, but thinking of, on it from a different level, like in I took over running marketing in Frederick in that era, Bobby, when you played. So I was yeah. in charge of how many fans came to games. And, uh, you know, one thing that we did was not market every game. You know, and you like that sounds crazy, but like there's 70 games and we thought of it about marketing the 33 games that were the weekend games. You had 11 weekends. So all of our money and advertising was all trying to get as many people as possible Friday through Sunday. And then the other days of the week, it was just giving them a deal like, oh, if you come tonight, you get a two for one hot dog or, you know, like right. if this happens, beer night. You get, yeah, 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 you know. Where, where you're looking for people that want to come for as cheap as possible, but you're, you're, you only have a finite amount of money to, to spend on advertising and, and everything. It, it's, it's hard to pack a place, you know, 70 games or 81 games a year and in working in baseball, as long as I have, and you guys have lived this life, how many times have good college buddies that are not in sports asked you to go to a concert or, yeah, oh, did you hear this? Did you get an invitation to this guy's wedding? Or, or you know, uh, yeah. you know, hey, hey, what are you doing Memorial Day weekend? We're throwing this big party. You're like, dude, I, I'm completely like, 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 no you know, shot. There's no, no shot. shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, you know? maybe I mean, if someone in my family gets married, I can go. That's about right. it. <laughs> That's about it, Dan, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I got Mike, Mike on uh, Periscope responded to us he said uh as someone who never played baseball as a fan i can say it's very relaxing to watch a minor league or a major league game he said i enjoy watching the game unfold it's strategic and i i agree with him like i i don't disagree but it's relaxing once or twice a week like if you if you have the time to set aside to watch baseball every single day like i envy you it's a that's it's just a it's a time commitment that a lot of people don't have so you're trying to draw so many people to a major league game that like a Fenway or a Yankee stadium that can hold 45,000 people <laughs> or Wrigley field. So you're trying to draw 45,000 people for a homestand every single game. That's, I mean, that's all, that's a, what a quarter of a million people like throughout the week. And it's a lot and it can't really be the same person twice. Really? I mean, realistically it's probably not going to be the same person twice. I mean, where are all these people coming from? Another yeah. thing I think too, and that's in the same vein is that, um, and you guys, I'd like to hear what you think about this. I, I feel like teaching the next generation, the intricacies of the game is so important. And part of my last rant about the home runs and the strikeouts means that the intricacies of the game are less important, but understanding like Dan, you know, having people that go to a game, understand that you are a completely different pitcher when you're ahead of the count. Oh, and two, then when you're down in the count two and oh and mm-hmm. you know we're understanding like like it, it I, I didn't know this until i was broadcasting that a lot of times when you throw over to first base like in a possible bunting situation you're not trying to like get the guy out you're, you're trying to see if the guy is bunting at the plate yeah and there's, there's little intricacies of the game that like um even if you grew up around the game like i did you don't even know and then you get into minor league baseball or professionally, you're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. But I feel like the more you know, because baseball is at a very different pace. And, you know, football is kind of – and hockey, it, it's at such a fast pace, it's hard to absorb a lot of the 
details of strategy. And one of the reasons that baseball is so much fun is that it unfolds at a pace where if you really know the game, you can be like, oh my God, look, they're doing, you know, or he's going to, he's going to work him away because he's going to try to get him to roll over on that, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and it's just like anything else. I mean, I'll give you an example. My, uh, like in my YouTube stuff, I've learned more and more about video and how to like make my videos better in the same amount of time. Like I, you know, you start to learn any new skill and you start to go down the rabbit hole. So now having learned a a good amount about video and audio and and transitions and the way they do different things. Now, when I watch a movie, especially documentary, I can see things that I never thought to see before. Like I actually notice their mics. I look for their mics. I'm like wondering where their microphone is because sometimes they'll have a lab mic, even on like prominent documentaries. You don't think about like, you never see a mic in a movie, obviously, but in a documentary, like the rules are a little different you start to pay attention to how they move from one scene to the next. You know, is it a black screen? Is it just all these different things? Cause for me, I'm trying to figure out what do these people do in the documentary as if I make a documentary style YouTube video that's 10 minutes long or something. Right. And it's the same right. thing with baseball. There's stuff that you would never, it would never occur to you to look for that's happening. It just would never, ever occur that you'd never see it. And I taught baseball in Turkey last year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And they have no, I mean, they have as much baseball knowledge as you'd think. They don't have any, there's right. no books. YouTube's not translated into their language. They have no former players in their country to pass down mm-hmm. information. They're just like starting from scratch. And, and one of the huge problems is they'll never discover a lot of that stuff because they will never know to look for it. Like you said, throwing over to figure out that a guy's bunting. If no one in the country knows that that's a thing, how would they ever figure out that that's a thing? That's what's fascinating about it, right? I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, and so that's one of the really, like you said, it's really neat. And I'll give you one other quick example is that I was watching a game with a girl who's a huge baseball fan. And she was like, hey, I want, can you tell me which pitch they throw? I don't, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to identify them. And for me on TV, it looks super easy to tell the difference between a curveball and a fastball, right? For someone who's been doing it a long time, you and to me, I was like, oh, like, and she's not dumb. Like she knows the game. She studies it a lot. She like loved it, um, but she just still needed help to see the different pitches. Even though I thought it was pretty obvious. And then when you go to a real game, it's super hard to tell the difference unless you're like a, a player, a former player. You do it all the time because it's not nearly as obvious as as the camera view from center field. And so just yeah. little stuff like that where they could you help someone learn. Yeah, when it looks when that's the shape of it, it looks that's probably a slider. That's probably a curveball. Right. Um, but it's really a tough. Fun, it's really tough at, at the thing, ballpark. Dan, a funny thing from last year is that, and it's something that nobody, you know, nobody knows, but my biggest call from last year that got a lot of uh, publicity was uh, that we had a, uh, you know, we had a no hitter thrown. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, from a prospect, and you know the dude he was his name's Mike Bauman. He's he was new to to Double A, and I, I cheat. I look at the radar gun. I'm like, look, if it's in the '90s, it's a fastball. Oh, well, you have you to. Know, if, yeah. if, if a guy throws fastball curveball change, it's very easy. Because a lot of times the changeup is in the '80s and the curveball is in the '70s, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. boom, there you go. I mean, it's it's easy to tell the difference a lot of times between those pitches, but sometimes a fastball or you know, if a guy's throwing a slider or a change, sometimes you yeah, can kind of miss it. Very similar but, range, yeah. But Bauman on the last pitch, he messed up. And, you know, and as a pitcher, you know, sometimes everything's going your way. He threw a hard slider and it hung. It was belt high. And the guy swung right through it and it ended, you know, the no hitter. But it was a 91 mile an hour slider in the ninth inning. 
And I thought it was a fastball, especially since, you know, if the guy threw it in the dirt, it's probably mm-hmm. a slider. But, like, if you're going to see a two-strike pitch that's above the belt and it's in the 90s, it's a fastball. So I call yeah. it, you know, high fastball, swinging a strike three, you know, you know, yada, yada. And uh, afterwards, he goes, Adam, just let you know. I, I, he goes, I hung a slider there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, every cool. time I watch that, they, they did a big interview with him on the Orioles not, uh, thing, Mass, and, of course, they played the call. And I'm like, there, there, there I am messing up the call, and nobody even knows it. <laughs> Well, how hard is he throwing the whole game? Probably mid to upper 90s then? He, yeah, more like mid. I mean, his fastball is more like 94, 95, yeah. Gotcha. So he probably just threw that slider super like hard, hard, like super oh, yeah. humped up on it. So exactly. if it was a fastball, that one might have been as hard as the night, like 98, but it, it was a slider, so it came up hard. That's what's, yeah, and that's an interesting point. Like with sliding, you know, velocities are always a range. So right. if you're throwing 92 to 96, your slider could be you know, 84 to 80 or more like 86 to 88, whatever, you know. And, and you see it like with a guy like Verlander and, you know, who might be the best power pitcher of this generation, right? Where he might be throwing 92 in the first inning. And then all of a sudden he's got like another gear, you know, like he's throwing 96, yeah. 97 late in his start. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's definitely got to be difficult for you to sit far back in the press box. You're just watching the game with no radar gun. At some it's of a tough angle. And- Everything looks straight from there. And, <laughs> yeah, and curveballs and curve and sliders don't have as much lateral break as you'd think from that vantage point. They're, they're not that if, sweeping. If at all, yeah. if at all, like you're why, I mean, you, you take your eye a split second and you're just, you're just guessing like at that point, like, Oh, here comes the pitch. It's a strike. You don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the funny thing is, in the minor leagues, they're starting to put us, like, down the line a little bit, you know, because uh, people will pay more money for, for a suite right behind home plate, which is usually where all the broadcast is. So a lot of times the new ballparks, like a Hartford or such, they have, like, the worst broadcast angles because <laughs> you're sitting at third base trying to call a baseball game. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> and that's why – yeah, and that's, like – that's why I don't understand. I've never been, like, a big arguer as a player, and I've never – I don't. I never call games. That's something I'm pretty adamant about. I think young players should call their own game on the mound. Mm-hmm. And my one of my main arguments is like I can't see what's going on from the side. Like we act like we do. Like we act like we're out. We're outraged about a call. They're like, oh, that's a, that was a strike. It's like you don't know. Like just be honest. You don't know. You're just guessing whether the catcher moved his mitt. Right. That's that's all we're going on. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true. That is true. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough, tough angle. The the center field angle is amazing. Of course, even that they they mess up. Like the Rays has, they have a really weird one. I feel like the Astros are a little right. bit off. And it's you funny wonder why like for, why they tolerate it. The uh, when if you listen to a visiting broadcast from Nats Park, they they have by far the worst broadcast locale. You know, it's like literally on top of the stadium, and everybody can't figure out if like a fly ball is like a pop up to short or a home run. And it's it's funny if you listen to the visiting broadcast from Nats Park, everybody complains. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. So let's uh as we as we kind of wrap up, let's let's talk. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, Major League Baseball is in turmoil right now. Yesterday was a big day with you know Manfred five days ago saying. I guarantee we'll play baseball. Then tomorrow, going back on that, uh, leaving a lot of people feeling pretty deflated about it. I mean, wh- what's your intuition? I know you don't probably have any inside info, but what do you right. what do you think? What, what's your gut? 
I was just so confused by it. You know, when you're a commissioner or something like this, it's really a public relations job. And it, it's just been a nightmare how they've handled it. You, when you do things like this, you need to play chess, not checkers. And it just feels like Rob Manfred is playing checkers, you know, like, like a move yeah. is made and then he's like, oh my God, like I didn't realize this was going to happen. And then he's trying to deal with it and he, and he can't. So what I think is going to happen is simple that the major league teams want the players to only play 50 or so games because they think that that can fit their economic model okay. Uh, for the season. And I think what they figured out was that they were going to just implement that. Uh, they were trying to have the players play 70 games and do it for 80% of the money. But now what they realized is that you still have time, you know, you still have time to play let's 60 or 70 games right. and the players could sue and get that money back. And I think that when the owners figure it out that that could happen, they're now saying, oh, my God, we got to go back to negotiating. And they're going to wait a few weeks until there's only time to legitimately play 50 games. And then they'll do what they were trying to do right now. So that's yeah. my take on it. I, I think yeah. a good Twitter to follow would be uh, Trevor Bowers. Well, yeah, he, you know, he his, tweeted out that, he, that theory, essentially. His mm -hmm. Twitter theory I thought was very interesting. And he, 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 he came up with a date. He said, watch – how their tune will change on June 28th because <laughs> he did the math and that was, you know, that was that's like the day. Yeah. Uh, that's the, the day, day when where, right. Where, where it would fit that timeline. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. The, Bobby, where do you fall on it? The, the biggest issue with both sides has been the messaging. Like you, you've got, you've got, inco you've got incompetent leadership on both sides. Like the, the players aren't being instructed to stay on point. Like they keep talking about money, which is making fans turn on them essentially, because uh, as many fans understand, like, yeah, if you play a hundred games, you should get paid for hundred games. There's fans that are like, look, some of us have been out of work for three months. Like shut up, shut up about however much money you might lose and take the right. money you're going to make and go play and give us something to watch. Like, so there's, and then you've got the owner's side where, You've got nobody sympathizes with billionaires. So yeah. the more Ma Rob Manfred speaks, the more you dislike him. So, I mean, both sides, I think the players are being, they're being thrown. They're, they're not being led well to, to get the fans and get like momentum on their side to push back against the owners, because you've got people that are also divided on their thoughts about the players and being greedy and like, everybody's taking pay cuts and making sacrifices. Like, why aren't you guys willing to make some sacrifices? And it's crazy that people are siding. Some, some people are siding with billionaires and I can see both sides. It just feels like, like the more Trevor Bauer speaks out and the more that uh, a couple of these guys on Twitter voice their opinion, like, yeah, it's great that you hear from big leaguers, like that they have a voice, but their messaging is so wrong about what, like stay on point. Like we want to get back to playing. We want to make sure it's, it's safe and healthy for us. Like hammer that point home in every interview, stay away from the money talk. So, so all the fans rally behind you and they put pressure on the owners. Like there's no pressure on the owners right now. Cause some people are actually siding with them. And the, and Tony Clark, I think is doing a terrible job of, of keeping the players like united in one message. I just think he's not, he's not taking advantage of, what should be fan backing on the player side. Yeah. It's uh, I, yeah, I don't know what Tony Clark's qualifications are 
to do the job. I mean, I'm sure he's qualified, I guess, but it just seem it seems like right now the the negotiation tactics from both sides aren't very good. So yeah, it seems like on not, the surface. They're, well, they're like, just not like doing you a said, good job. I think I agree with you, Bobby, that the messaging should be we miss you guys, we miss you fans. We're trying to get back there, you know. We let's play ball. That should be the message. And the more they mention money, just the worse it gets. And of course, a lot of you know, a couple of players early really made some missteps talking about I'm not going back if I don't get paid. You know that kind of thing. And well, not, yeah, not the move, not the move. But Blake's, yeah, Blake Snell. I mean, if for as much as he may have been right, like, look, I'm not playing for less than I'm worth or whatever. Like, you can believe it all you want, but don't say it out loud immediately like somebody somebody tell this guy like look dude let us do the messaging about the safety of the game and about you know we want to be back in front of fans like let's let's get this done even if behind the scenes you're saying nothing but we're not doing it unless we're getting paid like you need to and adam's a daughter obviously agrees with me (laughs) (laughs) yes we're, you have like you you have to have one one united front and they just don't and there's and like Trevor Bauer's voice out you know is head and shoulders above Tony Clark's voice right now which is an absurd when you're the leader of a union like you need to be front and center and well, I think some of the owners are bef- definitely to be fed fair up with Manford. it's not clear that what Bauer's saying is benefiting the players. He just no, no, I'm not being saying it's himself, benefiting. being outspoken. And- yeah, he's just louder. He's he's the loudest voice in the room with no leadership. And Rob Manfred is the only voice in the room for a group of billionaires that that are I can't I can't imagine behind closed doors he is very popular amongst those owners right now. Just just based on how much he's flubbed some of this messaging. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so Adam, final story. What's uh, uh, yes. do you have? Do you have a good anecdote? To, I'm sure you have tons of them from your years broadcasting. But do you have a favorite story on field? I want to tell or? a Bobby. I want to tell a Bobby story. One of All one right. of my favorite. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I have a few. My daughter's bumping down, sadly. I have a few here, but my fa- one of my favorites that I I know that he won't even know that I'm talking about is, you know, when you go to Myrtle Beach in the Carolina League, Bobby talked about these cities, and nothing against Lynchburg, Virginia, you know, and Wilmington, Delaware, and all these places, you know, but the reality of them is that when you go to Myrtle Beach in the Carolina League, it's time to party. You know, that's the place with the nightlife Mm -hmm. and and, you know, the guys are hoping to play that two-hour, 15-minute game. <laughs> you know that, yeah, right? Yeah, right. It was the first night that we were in Myrtle Beach, and we got in very late the night before. So it was the first night that the team was going to go out on the town after the game. And, of course, you know what happens. We played a 14-inning, you know, four-hour, <laughs> four-and-a-half-hour game, right? So it was scoreless, if I remember this correctly. I don't even think it was one-to-one. It was a scoreless game. And if you know Bobby, and if you're watching the show, you probably know Bobby's personality. But he he, he was such a jokester. His song was Call Me Maybe, which was the big pop song of that time <laughs> that everybody, like, hated because it was played, overplayed so much. Bobby was like, no, oh, I love so it. Bad. Right? So bad. So love bad. Love that song. <laughs> so they played Call Me Maybe. Bobby was leading off the inning, the top of the inning. They played Call Me Maybe. And or whatever is if that's the name of the song. They played that song, and Bobby took about a minute to get into the batter's box. Like 
everybody was yelling at him like, come on, go, you know. So, so he's just letting it play out. And then he hits one off the wall, gets a double, and then um, a batter or so later, they laid down – or no, it had to be the next guy because there's nobody out. They laid down a bunt, and it was up the first baseline. And this, I think, epitomized Bobby as a player. But <laughs> – but my cat's coming out too, so we're about to have another visitor. But <laughs> but they laid down a bunt down the first base line, so the catcher goes at the first base line to field it, slides on his knees, bare hands, throws the guy at first. Well, nobody was at the plate, and Bobby never stopped running. And he scored on a sack butt from second, and the Keys won the game one to nothing. But I, I don't think you had enough time to really go to the bars after the game because it ended around midnight. But that no. was that was a – that was a famous Bobby Stevens moment. And I thought it epitomized him as a person and, and uh, as a joker and a player. <laughs> they, they knew it. Good heads of baseball. Somebody had, somebody had to know that that was my walkout song. And they're like, let's just – we don't care who wins the game at this point. Like, we need to get this game over with. I know. I, I, think, I think that you said – did they know that was my walkout song? I'm like, I did not tell them. That was my <laughs> That's awesome. I remember that. I do remember that. That I, it wouldn't come to top of mind because I have. There's other Myrtle Beach stories. I've told one on this about going out with Zach Britton and the the whole thing. Uh, oh yeah. That one when uh, Adam, I you you were that. I'm almost positive you were there with uh, Richie Hebner and like yeah. the the whole blow up in the dugout. I've told that story, but that's that one doesn't come to mind. So you just told it now. That's I I do remember that. That was <laughs> that was great. Uh, did, did, I, did, I, I remember thinking, like, why is this game going so long? We only have three days in Myrtle Beach. Like, what's No one's on? in the stadium. The Myrtle Beach Nobody. visiting clubby would, would like, have the hangover cure ready. For the, you knew the yeah. first night you went out on the town. A lot of times it would actually be the first day you played because you might have been able to get in town early enough to party. But, like, right. it was hilarious. Like, the Gatorade and the ibuprofen he had just laid out <laughs> on the table. You know, ready light. for you. <laughs> yeah. Light, yeah. Hilarious. That's awesome. He probably got a good tip, man. He knows what's up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, they work on tips, definitely. Well, Adam, really appreciate you being on the show, man. You have a great perspective. And this is, uh, I think Thank this is a really you, timely, timely time to have you on with all the just minor league stuff and major league stuff. And yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time in baseball right now. It really is. So hopefully we'll see a new day soon, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anywhere on the web that people can follow up with you? Yeah. I, you know, I'm mostly on Twitter and that is at poll. So my last name's P-O-H-L. Adam, A-D-A-M, so at Paul Adam, and I tweet a lot in the winter about, you know, a small D1 college basketball team, and a lot in the summer about uh, Orioles minor league players, so. All right, there you go, so be sure to follow Adam Pohl on Twitter. Bobby, want to send us out? Yeah, join us Friday, we have Chelsea Ladd, Chelsea Ladd coming on, uh, Dugout Dish podcast and blog. Uh, Adam, this is great, I'll catch up with you outside of this as well, but uh, thanks for coming on, we'll see everybody Friday. Yep. That sounds Take great. Care. Thank you guys. Yep. Appreciate it.